Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. And spelt as a grandfather two weeds, is it? I do occasionally go on Ancestry.com, but I, I don't know. <laughs> I haven't looked at the origin of flower, no. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Baked Down Podcast, where we are going back over Series 4 and uh, reminding ourselves of the lovely people and the lovely bakes that came to us that year. Now we are in episode eight. Here we go with alternative ingredients, possibly our first slightly odd week. Uh, We've definitely had some odd weeks in the past, haven't we, with Tudor week and Japanese week and all the stuff that came with that. We have alternative ingredients week. Now, Howard, what did you think of this week overall? I thought it was a good week, actually. I thought I would have enjoyed still being in the tent for this week. If I could have skipped last week and just gone back in for this week, that would have been a, a positive. <laughs> Not quite sure how it works. Doesn't let me do that. <laughs> what did you have planned for this week? Have you found any of your old recipes? I was doing a spelt loaf as well. I think it was a spelt and ginger. Ooh. So it got ginger beer or ginger ale actually in the mixture. And then I was doing, I don't, what did they call that? Where you mix like a kind of oaty paste type thing to put over the top of your bread. And then you score it. Almost like a crackle on top. Yeah, almost like a crackle on top type thing uh, on it. So it was it was oat spelt and, and ginger, I think, my Ooh, loaf. That sounds very it nice. Was, it was nice. It was nice. Yeah. <laughs> it was nice. I know you had some tarragon in there or something. <laughs> no, no, no. Ginger, ginger was in there. I remember the showstopper was a controversial one because I'd never actually made it. I'd seen that you could do a vegetable cake with cauliflower and I thought, oh, I'll, I'll have a go at that. So I made up this recipe, sort of roasted some cauliflower with chocolate. So it was a chocolate cauliflower cake. I don't know whether it works or not. Dan is wincing rather, rather noticeably there. <laughs> and it was going to be shaped like a cauliflower. So it was going to look like a cauliflower as well. Oh. Yeah. 
Oh, it that's sounds really sweet. Okay. So so sad to have yeah. missed that. That uh, are you? That sounds wonderful. Are you really? <laughs> oh, I'm not at all sure about that. I've just googled cauliflower cake, and oh no, they look awful. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> they look well, Howard. All credit to you, but I think that sounds disgusting. <laughs> That's pushing the boat out. I think I think for... that could have been one of the reasons why they got rid of me before this week, don't you think? They just thought, I cannot... <laughs> Mary Berry said, I am not doing the chocolate cauliflower cake. I'm sorry, get rid of it. <laughs> yeah, it was really tight between you and Glenn, and they were like, oh, no, he's going to do a cauliflower cake. Let's get rid of him. <laughs> oh, goodness me. Oh, well, that would have definitely made interesting television. Uh, whether or not it would have made a good cake remains to be seen. Maybe one day it'll appear in one of our classes. You never know. You never know. <laughs> It'll just be you and me, Howard, because I'll come and make it. We had a, a very good week. We had some really nice bakes and we had some wheat-free loaves. We had some wheat-free daquoises and we had some dairy-free vegetable cakes. What do we think? Interesting bakes or do we think this was the start of a what on earth are you baking sort of bake? Oh, it was all a bit worthy for my taste. It's fine. Listen, I'm, I mean, I do like alternative ingredients, but to me, the alternative ingredients are things you use when you have to. Like if you have some kind of dietary restriction, they're not things that I would ever do just for fun, to be honest. You know, you make them to accommodate other people or because this is a specific requirement. But yeah, I, gluten is a glorious thing. I mean, don't tell anyone who's gluten intolerant because they'll get all upset at you. But it's a wonderful magical ingredient, kind of like eggs. You know, and it can't really be replaced very easy, although I'm sure Howard will contradict me shortly. Yeah, the vegetable cake. I mean, we've all made a carrot cake, maybe a courgette cake. I don't think anything else would have piqued my particular interest. But I would have loved doing the Dequaz challenge. That's That would have been something that was right up my alley. I would have enjoyed that. Or did, Was that free of something, the Dequaz? Well, it's free of flour. It was gluten-free. Oh, but it's, yeah, but it's yeah. naturally gluten-free. Yeah. It's not like, yeah, it's not like they had to avoid gluten, but they just made something that didn't have gluten in. Uh, so that that's acceptable gluten-free baking to me, to me Howard. <laughs> good, good. I'm glad we've got that sorted. That, that's my uh, my new book coming out next. <laughs> acceptable <laughs> gluten-free baking. <laughs> well, let's start uh, on our bake. So we had the signature challenge uh, to start off with. And we were using a, a loaf that does not use traditional wheat flours. We definitely had a lot of spelt in there. I think most people use spelt. Uh, could have also used things like rye, potato, tapioca. We had all sorts of lovely things in there. Now, first of all, they called it, what was it, a grandfather grain? Can anybody shed some light on what that means exactly? Howard, before we start that, spelt has gluten, right? Yes, it does. Yeah. The challenge wasn't necessarily a gluten-free uh, bake although I think it was Christine wasn't it who was the one who, who was the only one who did a gluten-free love but the idea was was to do a, a wheat-free or an alternative to wheat so that's why they could use spelt or rye or, or anything like that. And spelt is a grandfather to wheat is it is that right? I do occasionally go on Ancestry.com but I, I don't know I haven't looked at the origin of flour no. <laughs> that was what uh, they seemed to suggest that spelt is an ancient relation of wheat quite what that means i'm not entirely sure there are heritage grains and basically uh, and the same as with fruit 
what humans have done over the years is they've taken the best parts of certain plants and sort of cross-pollinated them to get sort of, you know, high yield. You know, like if you look at natural wheat, it's just a couple of little seeds on a stem and look at modern wheat and it's a whole row of them, you know, because it's more efficient. So I think we've sort of bred the, the best versions of, of plants, if you like. And I think that's that's what they meant. You could use some of the old style grains that are presumably a little bit tastier or maybe or a bit more interesting, but not so easy to work with. I think spelt would have probably been what I would have done. Isn't that what you would have done? What would you have done, Howard? Sorry, what were you doing? Mine was spelt and ginger and it got some oats in there as well spelt oat and ginger as soon as they mentioned chestnut flour i thought oh someone will have done chestnut flour but then no one no one had which i was quite disappointed by because you brought up chestnut flour before and it sounds absolutely delicious i thought that would have worked beautifully in a loaf yeah it, it it is lovely although it tends to work better combined with other flours so it might have been trickier uh, you you wouldn't have been able to do a complete chestnut flour loaf or anything like that. So it's then what you put it with. Ideally, you'd pu- probably put it with a strong white bread flour, and then you're going against the um, the free from, aren't you? So. so they were allowed no wheat flour because when I make a spelt loaf, I make it a mixture of spelt and wheat. The brief was no wheat at all. Yeah. Yeah, an alternative uh. to wheat, yeah. But interestingly, I, I have Google open, and it's also known, spelt as dinkle wheat, Ooh. D-I-N-K-E-L, or hulled wheat. And it is a species of wheat that's been cultivated since approximately 5000 BC. My goodness. So it's certainly a very ancient grain. And what do you remember about that, Jane? Well, I just remember going out and having to do the weeding. I just think, (laughs) you are cheeky. You're so cheeky. But yeah, there you go. So it's over 7000 years old, really. It looks like wheat. And I'm assuming it just got pushed out because of the, all the breeding and it, it looks like it's a very small grain and it, it probably only made in incredibly small quantities at the moment because I bet it's prone to pests and all those sorts of things that we've been breeding our crops to resist over the years. So that's probably why. And it's prone as well, isn't it, according to Paul? Was it, did he call it flowing? Flowing. Flowing. Yes. It's in in the industry, or in we call it flowing. I think it's in the industry. It must be flowing. Basically, <laughs> it means it doesn't stay where it's put, doesn't it? Really, but yes, an industry term, flowing. <laughs> well, we all have a flowing dough, but that's usually just when we add too much water to it, isn't it? It's yes, absolutely. It's just where yeah, which yeah. I just want to say though, before we go on here, because we we are getting well, I'm getting my series four from Amazon Prime video or whatever it is. And there was a warning. I think we've talked about this before, but there was a warning at the start. So this is rated, please close your ears, anybody under the age of 13. This is, this, (laughs) this program was rated 13 plus because of, and the word I couldn't spell earlier, violence and foul language. (laughs) Well, I'm 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 still what? waiting for the violence and foul violence. language. I don't, violence and foul language, rated by Amazon. There we go. Oh. Did they did they take the rather harsh judging at the end? I of think so. Violence? Psychologically violent, wasn't it? Psychologically yeah. Yeah. I see. Psychological bullying. I see. I didn't get any foul language. We're getting much more foul language these days in Bake Off than we did. There, there was nothing. I, I I listened hard. There was. Nothing. So, Goodness me. Very sensitive right. Amazon. 
<laughs> very, very sensitive. I, I don't, I don't know what they must have thought about the bodyguards, whatever, whatever that thing is. That what's that film? The, the hitman's bodyguard. That has got foul language and violence in. I was actually very disappointed by the lack of violence. <laughs> <in this> <laughs> That's what we tune in for to see bread slap, being, yeah. bread being slashed and being hit about with a breadstick or something. Yeah, Paul, Paul Hollywood just furiously beating the bakers with a baguette. Yeah. <laughs> oh, uh, lots of lovely alliteration in the morning. That was beautiful, Dan. Thank it. you very much. Mm -hmm. Well, let's move swiftly on <laughs> to get back to our lovely loaves that we had. We had some really, really nice things. I think Becker's potato spelt and rosemary focaccia looked really, really nice. And it definitely got some really good comments. Has anybody used potatoes before? I've eaten that, yeah. Right. You know, Becca and I did, I think it was the BBC Good Food Show or, or something. And she made that in a demo. It's nice. It's really nice. Yeah. It's interesting. I've had, she talked about how the potato was kind of binding. Now I've used potato water in making bread before and it gives it a really nice crust that a noticeably sort of crispy crust, but I didn't know that it had like a binding quality because of the starches, but did that work really nicely then Howard? It did. And I think, although it wasn't, I mean, we, we know this from old now, don't we, that you don't get a lot of detail about what's actually in, in the bakes. But it was visible that she'd got chunks of potato as well. So you'd almost got little roast potatoes in amongst the the kind of mashed potato as well. So it was it was a nice combination. Mm. Well, it certainly looked delicious, didn't it? I mean, I I love rosemary on focaccia. I always put rosemary on mine. It, I mean, it looked fab, I must admit. And I think they all did really well, to be perfectly honest. It was a very good start, yes. Surprisingly so. Mm, in the time... Three hours, no wonder people were having problems with the texture or the dryness or the this or the that, which Paul criticised. Three hours, it's still a yeasted bake. I don't think any of them did a double prove, did they? I don't know. You couldn't have done a double prove in that time. Well, Francis's Chelsea flower show bun bouquet looked really nice as well. I think it was here that we were talking about the flowing or the sort of falling out of the dough rather than it rising nice and up and straight and beautiful. It sort of flows. She seemed to cope with that rather well by putting it inside... Was it tart ring ...a loose-bottom tin. Yeah. yeah, or something like that, with, without the bottom sort of keeping it nice and firm. That looked beautiful in this little Chelsea bun um, rolls. What did anybody else think? I think I like the detail of the little... Was it the marzipan... Were they marzipan bees? Was that what they were? Oh, they were so cute. They were cute, but Mary was off on it today. She was not thrilled with uh, Francis's sort of accessory bakes, if you like. And I do think that... Whilst I think that is a bit nitpicky, there was a lot of extra things on them. So I do kind of get what she was going on about. But there's grimaces of disagreement from both Sarah and Jane. Howard is completely uh, inscrutable. <laughs> you can't tell. <laughs> no, I, th I thought Mary Mary was, uh, I, I think she built herself up a bit, didn't she? By the time Francis got to the showstopper, Mary was... Was on the verge of violence, I think. But, but, but no, I, so I think she I. was. Mo I think she was moderate with the uh, with the signature. But yeah, she was out for blood by the end. That was the violence, yes. clearly. 
we will talk about the uh, the showstopper and its judging, which if any of you have watched along with this episode, uh, based on the comments you guys have sent us about how the style of the substance comments from Francis are a bit harsh, you, you may agree with us. But yes, let's have a look at some other bakes that we had. We had Kimberly's wild garlic pesto and parma ham, plain and wholemeal, spelt... I think they described it as a coron, didn't they? And it sort of twirled and spiralled a bit. She she described it as a coron, yeah. Now, unfortunately, it didn't seem to have anywhere to go. It was possibly a bit over-twisted. And Paul said the texture was too dry. The flavours sounded delightful. I think Kimberly seemed very surprised by that, actually. She was sort of like... I love Kimberly's look in this episode. She was, she was surprised at the dry comment. In, in this, and then surprised again at the close textured one in the show. Stopper is like, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, what do you mean? Dry. <laughs> yeah, she, she she did seem very very shocked. I thought that looked nice. I mean, obviously we can't taste it, and texture is so important in bread, so it's it's hard to know. But yeah, it's. I think if you have a lot of fillings, it can sort of detract. It can draw the moisture out of what little available moisture there is in the bread. Especially if you've got adding something salty, it can really draw it out. So um, I think that was probably probably valid criticism and she put her fillings in before the proof didn't she and that's something that we've seen before i think it was in sweet dough week when people were putting the fruit into the dough before its first rise and how that can inhibit it as well so that might have played into it yeah i just want to just on that just on that I make amazing hot cross buns. Even arrogant, arrogant. No, just honest, just honest. <laughs> having having used a certain celebrity baker's recipe and failing miserably several times over the years. No, I just got my own recipe for hot cross buns, and I always put my fruit in before the first proof, and doesn't seem to inhibit anything at all. So I don't know whether I'm just lucky. Oh, but I made two batches over the Easter weekend. Both of them were gorgeous, darlings. I think with Kimberly, she put it in before the first proof, but I think that was the only proof because she didn't knock it back after that because no. she shaped it and proved it in the tin. That is a good point. So there wasn't a second proof. Uh, but I thought it when they cut through, I thought the texture looked very nice. And old Paul was prodding it and poking it, I think. I just thought the judges were really negative this week. I thought they were, except to Ruby. Except to Ruby, who they seemed to feel as though they had to be nice to at every opportunity. And it was noticeable that they were particularly horrible to Francis. Not exactly nice to Kimberly. I don't know what had got up their noses this week. It could potentially have been the editing. I know that's something that you guys have, have talked about before, that we don't see half of what they actually say to the bakers. So could have been slightly skewed editing. But the tears at the end, I mean, there was an awful lot of crying. Yes. I think they'd, There was, was a lot of crying at the end. I think they'd broken them down quite a lot by, by this point. Uh, so, yeah, I do think it was harsh. But now you say I hadn't noticed that they were particularly nice to Ruby, but I do make notes, believe it or not. And, uh, yeah, all the feedback for Ruby was really good. And all the feedback for everyone else was a little bit sort of a little bit damning, wasn't it? I don't know. I think Paul said that Ruby's uh, loaf was underproved and underbaked. Oh, yes, he did say that. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, but Mary, on the other hand, went nice crust and a winner for flavour. I think... I think maybe it's Mary that I thought this week was harsher than I thought was necessary, except to Ruby. 
I thought I thought Christine was going to get more of more of a criticism than she did actually. Did you? Yeah. Her loaf was quite nice. I thought it was quite simple and it was also broken. Well, yes, it stuck in the tin, which was unfortunate. But if it tastes... What do we judge on, first of all? Taste. Taste and texture, we should, shouldn't we? I, I think has got to become before looks. Yeah, but, I mean, listen, I don't know what she did. But, Howard, when she said, oh, it's a mixture of uh, rice flour, tapioca and potato flour, I'm like, what, just a pre-mixed blend then? Because... Like, it sounds like she just bought a bag of gluten-free flour from the supermarket. It didn't sound like there was much... And maybe other people weren't doing much work with their flour either, but it, it sounded like a very easy loaf to me. And it was in an ordinary loaf tin, and it broke. Sorry, Christine, if you're listening, but like I thought that was quite basic compared to like all the decorative work that other people had done. Am I being harsh, Howard? No, I, I think you're right. I think it was probably the first time it sounded as if it was one of the first times that uh, that Christina did, attempted a, a gluten-free loaf. So I think it was a blend of flowers. And I, you're right, I don't think that she had created the blend herself, but she then added the seeds and things like that to it. So, But it also looked as if she'd done something else, like made some jam or something. It was that the... the there appeared to be jam on the side, but <laughs> who knows? Oh, I didn't notice that. Yeah. <laughs> we're <laughs> still not getting the information no. we crave. No, we're not. Yes, well, Christine had some uh, pretty good comments as well, didn't she? A bit messy around the side. Obviously, that's because it, it sort of stuck a bit in the tin when turning it out. But nice structure, even distribution of seeds, good flavour and texture, and a nice crusty loaf. So she did actually rather well in that challenge. And Ruby, we haven't uh, spoken about Ruby, so let's talk about her mango and nigella seed spelt cob, which I think she described as being like a, a you know, like a chutney in a loaf, uh, which sounded very nice. And uh, yes, exactly, Jane, as you've said before, a winner for flavour. It was praised for being freeform, uh, but always underproved and underbaked. I thought it was interesting the way she had that extra piece of dough that she rolled out and wrapped it in to make sure that none of the bits of mango poked out and got burnt. And for a, for a flower that does, what do they call it? What we were talking about earlier, flows, flows. So your dough will flow, i.e. it'll just spread everywhere and keep its shape. It kept its shape remarkably well, I thought. Whether whether it was her little wrapper that helped, but surely that would flow as well. I know, I thought it was a really clever idea. I, I quite like that. I think we see something similar in a later series, actually. I think the lovely David does one when he's making his African masks or something, but that's, oh, that's way down the line. No, I thought it was a, I thought it was a great idea. I thought, clever old Ruby, actually. I think that worked well. And I was half expecting it to turn into a, like a cow pat, and it, it didn't. It actually had some spring and it burst upright. So it might not have been perfect texturally or might have uh, you know, been underbaked and underproved, but I thought it looked quite nice, quite simple style, you know. Just when you compare it to things like Kimberly and Francis, Relatively simple, I think. Oh, this is the signature maker. You know, Mary bangs on about style over substance, style over substance. In the showstopper, you can go mad, I think. But you don't have to go mad in the signature bake, do you? You can't have it always. And to be honest, yes, Kimberly and Francis did a nice job, but all they did was roll it up basically, in, in the way that you would a Chelsea bun or an ordinary Curon. So I think you're being a bit harsh, Dan, myself. I don't. I think, 
you, they didn't have to do an incredibly decorated loaf. It was enough trouble doing it with a, um, an unusual flower, I thought. Mm, fair enough. Fair enough. But it all seemed pretty even after this. I, I, I don't feel like there was anyone who did amazingly well or amazingly badly, was there? I think I would agree. Yes, I think it was reasonably even after this point. Maybe some people, maybe a couple points ahead than others, but no tragedies, definitely, in this challenge. A pretty good challenge overall. Now, I just want to talk a little bit about their families. They're all talking a lot about their families. I think Becca said that her parents have aged 10 years with all the stress and Kimberly's sister just comes around to, to taste food and just ignores her and heads straight for the kitchen. How did all your families cope with the with the whole process? Were they actually helpful or did they just go, oh, yes, very nice, dear, and you're like, no, 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 I need feedback. <laughs> How... Um... How were they all? Oh, I'm like that to this day, though. When I bake a cake or whatever, I say to people, oh, how is it? And they're like, yeah, it's nice. And I'm like, but do you think, like, the flavours work? Is it a good balance? Do you think the textures are okay? Do you think, like, it's... And they're like, no, it's nice. And and I, But I really want to know, like, how it could be better or how it could be different. And I know that other people generally hate that. They just want you to say that it's lovely. But I actually do want to know how you would change it or if it's sweet enough or, or, or whatever. I want your actual opinion. But I, I understand that, that a lot of people actually don't want that. My family were useless. They were just like, yes, it's nice. And that used to irritate the <laughs> hell out of me. And then a couple of times I got onto the show and I would make something and they wouldn't love it. And I'd come back to my family and sort of say, what the hell? You told me this was nice. <laughs> um, like, so, but I blame you. Except, well, you've got to blame them, haven't you? Otherwise it'd be your fault. But no, I, I generally trust my own judgment. And I think you have to, at the end of the day, you know, as much as it's nice to get approval from other people, you have to be able to trust your own palate and know whether or not it, it's good or not. I did have one interesting incident where I've got a Polish cleaner and uh, she came into the kitchen and I'd made a korovai like a massive wedding bread and uh, she's sort of why on earth have you made this who's getting married and it was just it was quite an awkward conversation to try and come up with some justification for why I'd made this gigantic Polish wedding bread (laughs) (laughs) no reason just for fun (laughs) just for fun I just thought you know Maybe if I knew someone who's getting married, Mariola. (laughs) You tested on your parents, didn't you, Howard? I did, yeah. Although I I think you're right that you don't get kind of constructive criticism, really. So I think, I I mean, Peter, I even now I will, if I've been practicing or, or experimenting, I'll let him try something. And then before he's really finished it, I've told him what's wrong with it. So it's like, <laughs> you sort of, it needs a bit more of this, doesn't it? It's like, yeah, you sort of know yourself. But... <laughs> That's exactly what I do. I'm like, as he's still chewing, I'm like, it needs more cinnamon, right? Like, it's not quite... <laughs> let the meat. Jane, what about you? My husband was really supportive. He would be, I'd be in tears going, oh, the recipe didn't work and I've run out of sugar. And um, he'd be like, right, go and have a shower. I'll go and get some more sugar and clear up the kitchen and then you can start again. So he was absolute angel and still is. I mean, he is amazing. But as far as um, flavours and things, even now, they'll cut into it and I'll be like, my nose will virtually be on their slice going, <laughs> just back off, mum. I'm still tasting it. Everything has to be judged. But when I first moved, this was some, not long after I moved here, I'd made this cake and I 
given it to a, a new friend, one of my new friends in town, who is now a very good friend. And I said, oh, I just need some feedback. So she had all her family there. They, she made them all write notes and then gave me <laughs> a, a detailed written. Well, it was a bit tall. You know, the slices could be, I think it was a three-tier cake. And I went, I really don't need it to be that detailed. Just what did it taste like? <laughs> was it okay? Was you it know, okay? The basics. <laughs> did you feel like you're on the Great British menu? <laughs> giving you all scores. Oh, that, oh, I love the Great British menu, don't you? Well, that was our signature challenge uh, and I think reasonably level heading into the next challenge. Maybe Becca slightly ahead because I don't think she had any negative comments at all. But yes, we'll see as it goes on. Now, our technical challenge. And uh, as we've discussed, this challenge is just by nature gluten-free. And it was a hazelnut d'aquoise, which has layers of nut meringue, hazelnut meringue, and a coffee, was it a creme mousseline, I think they were making? And then a ganache and hazelnut praline, and it looked absolutely beautiful. And that was two hours and 45 minutes. Dan, do you not think it looked beautiful? I thought it looked delightful. I thought it looked lovely. They said creme mousseline, but then they whipped cream into it. That's yes, cool. I knew you would spot that. I knew you would spot that. So that's not creme, creme mousseline's a creme pack with butter. So I don't, that's a creme oh. leger or creme creme diplomat, isn't it? Well, yeah. I think it's oh, a leger anyway. if it's cream, it's a diplomat if you add um, gelatin to it. So we, we've been through that, but definitely it's... You've been listening, Sarah. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> and mousseline is definitely with butter because it's the one I don't like because I find it ah, too... Ah, yes, it's the one Jane well, doesn't like. I find like. it too yes. buttery for me, which you love because you use it all the time. But yeah, it's, it had whipped cream in it, so it wasn't a mousseline, but it would have been the version that I would have liked to have eaten. I would have loved this challenge because I can do that. <laughs> Like, I, seriously, I would have done a great job of this. This is things that I know, I know how to make. We got one of those glorious bake-off moments where they caught Becca out and they sort of said, Becca said, well, I'll make the ganache second because that won't take as long to call as the Mussolini. And I'm like, oh, honey, no, that's not right. So for those of you who don't know, ganache takes a really long time to set up, actually, to be pipeable. You have to sort of call it and then leave it as well it has to go straight into the fridge and even uh, with quite a long cooling it's still sometimes a little on the soft side so that didn't work very well for her but I thought overall people did a great job but there was a mo the biggest problem seemed to be getting a good set on the creme pat um, but they would have had no wheat flour but would they use, use cornstarch I didn't notice yeah I would have thought they would have used cornstarch okay I do in my in my creme pat if I want it to set yeah. up nicely, just use some cornstarch. But did anybody think the one that they Mary and Paul were eating? Yeah, it looked <laughs> ghastly, and you certainly couldn't see any layers in there, and that filling was really runny. It was awful. Yeah, I've put here no visible layers in the exemplary <laughs> Yeah, it was like a, a solid kind of mushroom-coloured slab. Watch, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. It was. <laughs> <laughs> in the nicest possible way. <laughs> oh, that description was delightful. That it was brilliant. It looked, yeah. it looked nice from the outside. It did. It did indeed. I've just written <laughs> didn't look nice exclamation mark because that's very <laughs> didn't look nice. It didn't look nice. It looked lovely on the outside, but God, it looked awful in the middle. Now, Becca, you've just mentioned Becca changing the method slightly and doing the ganache last yeah when the recipe said do the uh the creme pat first 
Have any of you ever gone, no, I'm going to change that order because I'm going to do it my way. And has it ever worked? Not deliberately. I've had things where I made an element and it didn't work. So I had to remake it later in the recipe. I've done, I've done that, but I've never been so arrogant. <laughs> I knew you were going to say, wrong. really? Damn you. Okay. okay. Shocking. I've been arrogant in other ways, <laughs> but just not in that way. Yeah, no, I never did it purposefully, but I, you know, I've had a couple of things where I sort of I made a marzipan and it was too coarse, so I had to go back and grind the nuts again and let it rest again, and I was doing that at the last minute instead of with you know half an hour to spare. So um, yeah, I've definitely done things out of order, and it does not ever serve you well. It's an absolute blind panic to the end. Yeah, I've never done that. I, I was always too rabbit in the headlights with technicals trying to work out what what on earth was going on, and if they say do it that way do it that way because they know what they're talking about. I think sometimes you can take shortcuts. I remember one, I can't remember whether it was the Quran or one of the Christmas, uh, whether it was a Christmas technical, it was a bread challenge and it said, warm the milk and melt the butter. And I thought, well, why not just stick the butter in with the milk? But that's me being a bit rebellious, isn't it? Oh, yes, you devil, you devil. But I guess in the technical, is there is, is an element of of it is is out of your control, which must be nice. Just free up a little bit of thought. Like the method is there, just follow it. You don't have to worry about the order because it's already on the sheet. You don't have to think about that, so you can just sort of let that go in a way. Yeah, I think one of the things that I'm quite good at is just following instructions. I think that's why I got into baking in the first place because if you follow the recipe. Nine times out of ten, it works out perfectly. You know, I, I'm always still to this day confused by people who say they can't bake. I'm like, you just follow the recipe. It's not, you know, it's not difficult. Technicals, generally speaking, I always do well because it's literally just following a bunch of instructions. And as long as you've got the humility, like I have, to, uh, to just, just follow instructions... Then, uh, then I think you'll do fine. I'll give you so many examples, Dad, of how you do not follow instructions well. <laughs> <laughs> like basic ones. This, this is a two-hour class. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, none of you are guilt-free oh, in Howard. that respect. Oh, Howard, you're yeah. outnumbered here. None of you are guilt-free. <laughs> Absolutely none of you. All guilty. All guilty. But yes, a good challenge overall. We had a lot of people struggling with the meringue. The meringue seemed to have lost a lot of definition and wasn't crispy. Well, I think that was definitely the case for Francis and Christine. What do you think happened there? Well, it's, it is very difficult. We, I love making meringue. I don't know if you all remember, I got a double handshake for my pavlova in the Ooh. final. Um, so not, not that I want to brag. Um, I love making meringue and I... I know people do find it difficult and it's one of those things that when you can make it with your eyes shut, you're not quite sure why other people can't get it right. Uh, one of the reasons, as we all know, is if you've got grease on your whisk, you've got grease in your bowl, or you've got grease anywhere near any of your egg whites is one of the reasons that you can fail. In this meringue, they all seem to whip their meringue up pretty well. And then you're adding a greasy nut to it. You know, I do find if you try to add almond extract to a meringue, it will deflate, whereas vanilla doesn't. And I think maybe that was it. You know, they had to grind them. Yes, I like the fact that they then had to toast them in the oven because you will hopefully get rid of some of that oil. If you don't add it very, very carefully and you overwork it in the way that you would a um, macaronage, is that how you pronounce it, which deliberately deflates your meringue, 
you're going to deflate it. So very, very careful folding in. I would have been tempted, I thought about this afterwards, I'd have been tempted to almost blot my toasted nuts to make sure there wasn't any excess oil on them when they came out of the oven. But it's the oil in the nuts that deflated the meringue, no doubt about it. Yeah, I mean, obviously they toasted their nuts so they would have had a nice flavour. But what I tend to do when I'm making a duquoise is just buy it ready ground because the ready ground stuff tends to be drier. So whereas if you do it yourself, if you're not careful, as I said, you'll end up making a nut butter. It's very easy to do. So I'm not surprised that that happened. But yeah, you get less flavour from a pre-ground nut, um, but it's a lot easier to work with. I tend to use the toasted chopped nuts and then grind them because again that they've already been toasted and some of the oil has has gone and then you get the the benefit of that that extra flavor whereas the pre-ground hazelnuts i think are not toasted are they no no. not generally no 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 no. okay but you could pan fry those then in a dry pan couldn't you or or toast them the way they did in the oven to get a bit of flavor into those pre-ground nuts yeah i have not actually tried that but i don't see why not but they all toasted their nuts after they ground them rather than toasted the nuts and then ground yes which was you could have done it that way around as well but you would have still had an oil issue. You just need to not over-chop them when you're blitzing them in your food processor. The oil doesn't really go anywhere in the oven, does it? It's not going to evaporate. So I think if they cut them too finely, they would still have had the oil issue anyway, regardless of... Yeah, as, as you say, like... But the problem is hindsight is twenty twenty, And as you say, Jane, maybe blotting off the excess oil would have been a good solution. But I don't think everyone would have had that foresight. And poor Christine's, I, hers looked not great. I don't know what happened. Was there any indication that it was too high of an oven temperature and too short of a bake? Or, what, or was that just Mary's guess? I didn't I didn't notice. I think probably somebody in the crew had spotted that and told Mary if that was the... I very much had the feeling that the judges were prepped about things that had already gone wrong. Like, they don't tell us that they've told them, but I was sort of like... I was suspicious that, you know, when something has gone wrong, that they've let the judges know in advance. So maybe maybe somebody had pointed that out. But yeah, it didn't. The meringue did not look great. It looked, it looked very chewy, very soft and chewy. Oh, and flat. There was your cow patch yeah. there. <laughs> we had to have it in somewhere. We did. But, you know, I don't, what they clearly want in a dequoise, and it's not something I make very often, and I don't know why, because I do, it's delicious, it's everything that I would love. When you make a pavlova or a meringue, you want that bit of softness in the middle and that chewiness. You don't want it to be completely dried out like the shop-bought meringue nests, because they go, and you just get all this dust everywhere. So maybe if people were not used to making it, they didn't dry their meringue out enough. So I would have been tempted not to dry my meringue out too much had I not known. So perhaps that's where some people went wrong as well. I don't know. I like the way Christine said might crisp up. Oh, yeah, it doesn't. No. Not for crisping up when it comes out of the oven. Well, she did come bottom of the pile, unfortunately, in fifth position. She didn't have the definition in her layers and potentially baked a bit, maybe a bit too quickly or too high. Very untidy there. Becca came fourth and she had good layers, but everything was a bit loose, wasn't it? The ganache needed to be cooler. She got to set herself up for that, unfortunately, and the filling needed to be a bit thicker as well. Frances came in third. Again, not crispy meringue there either, but she had a good a good size nut. 
But again, her muslin wasn't quite thick as well. Kimberly was second. Quite neat, good layers and a good crunch, which leaves Ruby coming in first uh, with a good crispy meringue. Filling was holding well and good definition. Was anybody else sort of stylistically offended by the fact that some people put a little rosette in the middle of their daquoise. I, I would have just kept them round the edge. I, I thought... A couple of people put them in the middle. It's like, no. No, it. don't do that. Don't do it. Because <laughs> you've got to get it perfect if it's in the middle, haven't you? It's got to be exactly the centre. Yeah. Although, And even then it's wrong. I don't like it. And I make a princess tart from time to time. And I hate it when a decoration is right in the middle because then as soon as you cut the first slice, that's ruined. Like, it just, it upsets me. The second you cut a princess tart, the little uh, the little rose on the top just immediately falls off. And you're like, oh, what was the point of that then? I love a princess tart. Oh, it's just so good. But then I would eat the whole lot. Yes, absolutely delicious. Any of you have come to, to Dan's class on his princess tart can attend. Absolutely stunning cake. We do have some questions for you guys. Uh, Thank you, everybody, who has written in with their questions. Keep them coming in. Now, this first question is from a lady who we do see at a lot of our classes. So a big shout out to uh, Jane McDonald, not our Jane McDonald. (gasps) (laughs) I know, Dan, don't get too excited. So, uh, (laughs) hi, Jane. Thank you for your question. She says, thank you for the podcast. It's joyful, insightful, interesting and good for the soul. So that's some lovely, lovely comments there. But her question is, in the week where Glenn changes up his pastry technique and wraps the butter on the outside instead of the inside, he is uh, taken to task by Paul and chided again when the results are less than perfect. And then in capital letters, in one of the season six technicals, Paul has them do that just when making Arlette's. Is my righteous indignation misplaced? What do we think? Well, if you're taking Paul to task over something, I don't think that's ever out of place, is it? I think it's, um, (laughs) he's a public figure and deserves to be put in his place once in a while. Um, (laughs) No, I think it's an interesting technique. It's not something that I've ever tried to be honest do you know when i auditioned for bake off they asked me what inverted puff pastry was and i i couldn't rem- i didn't remember that any of this had happened i just gave it a guess so i was like is it the other way around and it was indeed the other way around i guess that's what inverted means but yeah it's a strange technique and not one i will be bothering with still but no they 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 sort of give everything a bit of a try on bake off don't they i mean that's how we ended up with taco week or whatever it was <laughs> <laughs> no but the question was really is paul being hypocritical oh yes yes he is yes yes but but this was series four, and then I can't remember what series they did it in. Did she say series six? Um, six, I believe. It could be that suddenly Paul learnt something and thought it was worth a try, or maybe he he tried it, or maybe he went back and Googled inverted puff pastry and went, oh, lots of people do it, and it looks as though it works, and then thought he'd try it. I mean, we all learn, and hopefully... We're not all so inflexible that when somebody offers us an alternative, then we just dismiss it out of sight, which he did in, in to poor Glenn, but maybe he went back and reflected on how he was wrong, which is what I used to tell my children, and reflect on what you've done wrong. All right. I'm disappointed in you. It's always worked much better than a shout. Jane is giving Paul the benefit of the doubt. Is this your evil twin? What's going on, Jane? <laughs> 
<laughs> I know, right? There's one day a year where I'm nice to Paul Hollywood and today is probably it. So there we go. Do you think, though, that is why Series 4 is so difficult to actually watch now, that it's not broadcast very often? And that's because Paul doesn't want people to be reminded about the fact that he dissed Glenn's <laughs> technique for pastry. Maybe, maybe. The conspiracy theory, yep. <laughs> <laughs> We've landed on something there. Uh, well, Jane, thank you very much for your question. And we have a question from Stephanie in Savannah, Georgia. And she says, my husband and I rewatched the Sweet Dough episode you discussed last week. Seeing Howard's departure and knowing the future Howard would be a mainstay of Bake with the Legend classes made me curious about all of your journeys after your seasons concluded. Obviously, you are motivated and accomplished bakers, wouldn't be too sure about that. <laughs> Where's this oh, recipe? <laughs> and I wondered if you took classes afterwards or did you continue to develop your skills on your own? Also, a little note here. Stephanie says that uh, I am the one who sent you the pictures of the Betty Crocker extra moist oh, cake cakes. So uh, it's lovely to see you again, Stephanie. Jane. Just as an update on the Betty Crocker cake mix, I did make the one that... Josh sent me because if Josh was hosting the Baked Ample Cost then and this poor packet of cake mix sat in the cupboard sort of being shunned <laughs> and I had to make some cupcakes to take to golf or something I thought oh, yeah, I'll just use that but I did add extra things to it I can't remember what I did add to it, but I did add some extra things to it. And it was blooming delicious. So there's a lot to be said for Betty Crocker. It, if you're in a hurry and you chuck in some chopped apricots or something, these things are wonderful. So I haven't bought another one since, but thank you so much for your help on that one. Um, yes, because for those of you listening who didn't hear that, it came unwrapped via Amazon and... The postage label, if you like, that Amazon put on it was right over the cooking instructions. She very kindly came to the rescue. Thank you. So Jane was almost defeated by a box of cake mix. <laughs> yes, almost. <laughs> I think the question they were asking was, did you take classes after the bake-off? And did you... Or did you continue to develop your skills on your own? And yeah. the answer is, you did neither. You baked packet cake mixes, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Good to know. Good to know. Well, I, frankly, I'm always prepared, like Paul Hollywood, to go back on my comments and learn from other people. So, yes, cake mix is the way to go. No, I didn't take any classes. However, that's not to say I wouldn't take classes. I think a lot happened and we've had a lockdown, haven't we? And, but, you know, the internet is a wonderful thing and you can come along to a big religion class, of course, where we learn from the people who attend as much as them learning for us very often. I always, always love to hear other people's tips. But, you know, online baking, YouTube, Instagram, I learn so much from all those things, different tips, techniques. And if ever I'm stuck on something, sure enough, it's out there on the internet. So I, I like to think that I will never, ever be so pleased with myself that I won't continue learning from other people. Even you, Dan. Shocking. Um, <laughs> but I absolutely agree. I've not taken any classes. I know that some some bakers do decide that they're going to do this for a career and they want to go to Cordon Bleu or whatever. But 
I will always be a, you know, just sort of a home baker, I think, uh, to a certain extent. So I've not done any formal training still, but I'm still always learning, you know, for, from everywhere. I s still pick up some tips from these guys once a week. You know, every day's a school day. There's always something else to learn. And Google is your friend. There's lots of information out there these days and happy to receive it all. Howard, what about you? I did do a one-day class after I'd been on break, but that was more of a social event, really. So I think six or seven of us from our year went and did a day with Richard Burton at his school, and that was lovely. It was more about just getting back together and doing a bit of baking and not being in that kind of pressured environment. So lovely. Oh, I lie, actually. I've di I've done two classes since the show, but they were like bread classes and they were more just of a social event of, you know, hanging out with other people. So I have done, I have, I'm not saying I've never done any other classes, but they're just for fun. They weren't like a sort of serious endeavour. Lovely. Well, thank you very much, Stephanie, for all your help with the packet mix. Helping Jane be a better baker. <laughs> 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 and for your lovely question as well do keep your questions coming in everybody you can contact us via social media uh, we are at Baker of the Legend on all of our platforms or you can email us thebakedown at bakewiththelegend.com Now, children, before we head into our showstopper, we have another bake to talk about. We have our fabulous next week in our bake-along to talk about. And Jane, you are coming back in for this one. You are going to be doing the most fantastic-looking dairy-free raspberry and pea cake which sounds absolutely fantastic. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, I mean, it is not a novelty cake. Well, I haven't made it in the shape of anything except for in the shape of a cake, which is 3D, <laughs> just to let everybody know. But, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's using just your bog standard frozen peas from your freezer. I think we did have somebody say, could we change the raspberries for something? And yes, you can. You can leave them out or you can add a cherry jam or something you can use some sort of frozen cherries to, to make the jam with and it's blooming delicious because the sweetness from the peas you don't really taste the peas but the sweetness from the peas adds a really lovely i don't know how to describe it really yummy yummy cake i did make it when i was testing it up to the golf club we had a, a golf club committee meeting and made everybody guess what it was because of course it's green what's the ingredient uh, people went for courgette well it's definitely not courgette it's not as sloppy and as heavy as a courgette cake i'm not a great fan of courgette and everybody thought it had pistachio in it clearly it didn't so i'm really pleased with it i'm very excited and in fact somebody said to me the other day please can you let me have the recipe from that cake you brought along to the meeting so i hope everybody likes it as much as my golf club committee did so there we go <laughs> excellent so if you fancy learning how to make jane's dairy-free pea and raspberry cake you can come along to our bake along class on sunday the 23rd of april there are places still available so anybody wanting to sign up last minute please head over to our website and have a look at our online classes and search for jane's fantastic dairy-free vegetable cake which brings us beautifully into our showstopper and as you might have guessed it was a 3D novelty vegetable cake which must be dairy free uh, they had four hours to do that I have a little bit of a bone to pick with Mary here. At the beginning, Mary said they they may have made a carrot cake or a courgette cake, but they've got to go beyond that. 
Why? <laughs> What's wrong with the carrot cake? Yes, nothing wrong People with the carrot, carrot cake. cake. It was beautiful. Why do they have to go beyond that, Mary? Tell me why. I think that was a bit far, but there we go. We had some lovely vegetables going in the cake, didn't we? We had a carrot cake with Ruby, uh, Kimberly and Becca both used butternut squash. Francis used beetroot and Christine used sweet potato. So what did anybody think of this challenge? Well, lovely vegetable. There's an oxymoron for you. Um, <laughs> I think I would have just made a carrot cake. I love carrot cake and I don't think there's anything... Who, exactly. As a kid, as a child, that was one of my favourite cakes. And you know how fussy kids are. I might have tried to go for a courgette cake or something just to be... I mean, that's exotic to me. But yeah, there's nothing wrong with a carrot cake. I'm with you on that one, Sarah. But yeah, there's lots of things you can do. Like pumpkin is probably... Knowing what I know now, pumpkin might have been a good choice as well. Like pumpkin sweet potato. But um, again, I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm too down on the sort of healthy versions of cake. But I don't really like... I don't want to help. I don't want to be thinking that the cake's healthy. Give me a carrot cake with a metric ton of oil in it. That'll do me right nice. <laughs> yes, I think we should point out that just because it's vegetables does not mean it's healthy. No. Uh, it just, and I think they pointed out it's actually doing a vegetable cake is a good way of making the cake itself dairy free because of the oil that you use with the vegetables, if that makes sense. Yeah. I think on the dairy-free thing, did Paul say that normally you would put butter and possibly milk and eggs in there? And I'm thinking, yeah, well, eggs are not classed as dairy, are they? I think people were still putting eggs in their cakes, weren't they? Yeah. But then he was talking about the oil retarding the flour and the vegetables also had oil in So because of that, it was all being retarded. Well, butter is a fat as well so if you're saying the oil is doing something doesn't the butter do the same I, it didn't really make sense to me that he was saying the oils retarded the flour more than the butter would have retarded the flour i've got what do we think is what i've written here i'm not sure that's the case i find oil i don't always like too much oil in a cake although it does keep it moist especially with a chocolate cake or with a carrot cake. Never tried a carrot cake without oil, actually. But I would have thought if the if the fats, it would be the fats that were retarding the flour, and the butter would do that. So I didn't think it'd make any difference, to be honest. I was also a bit confused. I think if you cover flour in a fat, then it reduces the development of the gluten. In a cake, you don't really want gluten development anyways. I don't quite know what he meant there. Maybe he was too smart for us, Jane. Maybe we just didn't know what he was talking about. He was talking about the oils <laughs> in the vegetables as well. Well, frankly, we wouldn't be eating oil vegetables on our diet if there was oil in all of them. Well, so maybe we do know in avocado there's oil. Or is that a fruit? A vegetable, apparently. That's a whole other debate. Please, let's not go That's there. a whole other podcast. <laughs> but apparently, no, I learned this the other day. That um, like fruit is a botanical term and vegetable is uh, a culinary term. So actually, there's no like scientific divide between fruit and vegetables. Yeah, apparently. Oh, okay, interesting. But I don't think there's any fat in carrot, butternut squash, beetroot, or sweet potato, to the best of my knowledge. I know we get vegetable oil, but uh, vegetable oil comes from rapeseed over here. All our, all our vegetable oil is rapeseed oil if you look at the small print um, but nobody was I don't I don't know what he was talking about so I know it is be nice to Paul week but I don't know what he was talking about Howard what did you think of this challenge I thought it was a nice chat well as I say I 
Babe, I'm, I'm going to have to try this chocolate cauliflower cake of mine on. No, no, <laughs> please. I think you should. Please don't bring it to me too much. I'm hopeful. It, uh, it, might, it might surprise me. It might surprise all of us, yeah. I think it might surprise Jane. <laughs> I've definitely done loads and loads of carrot cakes. I don't think I have, have actually ever made a courgette cake. can't remember doing a courgette cake. I've done a beetroot cake before, which uh, is quite nice. But, uh, but yeah, I, I was looking forward to this. But it was interesting, I thought, that, I mean, we obviously we'll get on to the, the judging, how many people were using kind of shop-bought fondant? Mm, I definitely put this down as a note, yeah. I think that that sort of affected some of their scores, really, didn't it? I'm surprised they were allowed at all. I've just, I googled it and actually you're dead wrong about sweet potatoes. Oh, I'm they're, in, they're incredibly fatty. So per 100 grams, 0.1 grams of fat. So <laughs> practically interchangeable with butter. <laughs> <laughs> I'll spread some on my toast in the morning then. Uh, oh, I was all prepared to be wrong there, Dan. <laughs> We were told we were we couldn't use shop bought fondant. We had to make our own fondant, and they were very strict, and not just for our fondant fancies, where we did have to make it. As a consequence, when Andrew and I went to do the Christmas special with Liam and Flo, we all made we made Andrew and I made our fondant, and Liam and Flo didn't. They just bought shop shop bought. And again, we didn't use shop-bought cutters, and they did. So there were all sorts of rules flying around from one series to another. So we were definitely not allowed to buy. Christine made a marshmallow fondant. She made her own fondant. This reminds me of Jane's question, actually, about the judges looking at something and then maybe using it later on. Christine's fondant, uh, using marshmallows, like, Wow, we've never, never seen that before. This is something Nadia did two seasons later, but Mary seems to have not remembered because when Nadia made her fondant out of marshmallows, Mary was, oh, is it this marvellous? It's like, love, you saw it two seasons oh, ago. No. <laughs> but it's funny. <laughs> that made me laugh. I, I forget things that I like. I watched all the seasons from the very start and there are things that I absolutely forget. Like I've obviously watched them make the inverted pastry twice, and then when they asked me about it on my season, you know, when I was auditioning, I didn't remember it. I think that these things slip your memory, don't they? Well, we had some really lovely designs. For me, Becca's cheese board cake was just delightful. I thought that was utterly, utterly fantastic. But Paul seemed to think it was a bit simple, and I think that was really unfair oh, because it was beautiful. It was so perfect. Get in the bin, Paul. Like, I thought... <laughs> like. I genuinely thought it was really nice. I can't believe they said it was simple. I mean, it was simplistic style, style but I thought it was nice. It's very, very well finished. Yeah, yeah. But it was perfectly executed. Yeah. Yes. The wooden detailing yeah. and the mice. And yes. I thought it was lovely. Uh. I didn't know what he was talking about. Well, made me really cross the whole thing. Because I thought Becca's cake looked absolutely splendid and on the one hand poor old francis is getting style over substance style over substance style over substance and then this cake which i thought was perfectly finished which i would have been delighted with they said is too simple and then rubies that looked as though she dropped it on the floor and <laughs> scraped it back up and put it back on a board frankly um they were they were just sort of salivating over and i just I, well i mean bless her i mean it it, it 
it wasn't that bad. Sorry, Ruby. But it did look as though, <laughs> it did look as though the Wicked Witch of the West had dropped or North or whatever no. direction the wind was blowing, had picked the shed up and stuck it on her garden, hadn't it? And if you or I had produced that, they would have said it was untidy, the shed was falling over and couldn't they have done a bit more with the vegetables? We would have been ripped to shreds for it. But no, 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 they fell over themselves to make Ruby feel really good about herself, which I have no objections about because this week was the one week that she actually seemed to be enjoying it. But you slag off Becker's and then you don't criticise Ruby's. I thought it was was very unfair judging. I thought it was really unfair judging. The only thing I did feel was fair was that Frances, who I thought maybe had made her watering can out of fondant, so she clearly hadn't, had put lots of flower pots on that she'd bought. Now, I think that's fair. Too many props. We like things that are edible on a cake. But I thought that was really unjust judging on behalf of Becker. I want to stand up for Becker here. But then, at the end, which annoyed me, after the judging, when they're sitting in their little tent, Mary said, Francis spends too much time going off and making other little things when she should focus on the cake. Whereas she just told her off for not making the things that she shouldn't have gone off and made. That was, I thought that was really conflicting. And... I also I don't like this style over substance because I feel that style over substance means you are neglecting the bake because you are so busy focusing on all the other paraphernalia. But Frances is clearly just very good at that. She's she's a well was a children's clothes designer. Her design is excellent. Her baking isn't suffering at the hands of that design. Her baking technique just might not be at the level that you'd hope it would be. So that's not style over substance. That's just she's a good designer. Yeah, I think her baking fails are happening at the same rate as everybody else. I don't think that it's... Precisely. She's not being especially bad at the baking and just having pretty designs. I think, I see what you mean. That's that's quite an unfair criticism. But I will take Mm. uh, Jane to task very briefly over Ruby. And I do think, although Ruby's presentation was a little sloppy... There was a lot of technique in there. She tempered chocolate. She'd done a little praline. So I do think, although as an overall, I did prefer the appearance of Becker's, I think there was a lot of work in Ruby's. So I do think that the praise was justified. And the tempering chocolate is hard to do. Uh, Yes, I apologise. I I do agree. She did temper that chocolate very well. And it did look like planks, didn't it? So I will say that. And... Lord knows I couldn't make caramel in the tent. So she made that praline nut roof really, really well. So, yes, I'm not denying that she didn't have techniques in there and her cake probably was absolutely delicious. I just thought the whole style over substance, on the one hand, somebody's criticised for not doing enough, you know, for it being too simple. On the other hand, they're being criticised for style over substance. And then Ruby's which really didn't look fantastic. There was no criticism, I thought. I thought it just looked rustic, really. I thought it was appropriate for uh, the subject matter. I think thinking back to series is it series three, James Morton's barn with the... Haunted uh, barn. <laughs> held together with caramel cobwebs. and Yes, yeah. So I think sometimes you can go slightly rustic or ancient looking but yeah I think Ruby everything that she'd done was done in a standard tin and using techniques and ingredients that were uh, completely from scratch whereas I think some people were relying on 
tins that were shaped a certain way or shop walk fondant, walk decorations, things like that. Fair enough. You're saying I was out of order. No, I'd never say that, Jane. No. No. <laughs> Not to your face. <laughs> no, I, I understand, Jane. It, it, it is frustrating when people are picked up on one thing and then other people don't seem to be picked up on that as well. I don't think any any of us can deny all the skills that, that Ruby had that. I just think, I think, I agree with you, Jen. I think the the judging seemed a little unfair. I do, I do understand that. I just think they were unnecessarily harsh on Becca. Like if, if her cake was bland, that's a very fair criticism. But I thought the, the decoration was lovely. And if I'd have made a cake that looked like that, I'd have been thrilled with myself. Well, yes, yeah, speaking of the flavours of cakes, I think, Dan, you just touched on that. We we had some very confusing comments. I mean, apparently Becca's cake was not flavourful at all, which was bizarre. Christine seemed to just have no taste either. Like, I wonder what happened there. Just neither of them seemed to have any sort of taste at all. They had chilli for lunch, killed off their taste buds, I think. And, uh, <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. They couldn't taste the cake. Yeah, I think, I don't know. I mean, I think when you think of a, a carrot cake, for example, which is the one I'm most familiar with, most of the flavour comes from the spicing. There's not really much flavour in the yeah. carrot, is there? So, no, no, no. So you would have had to have found that flavour from other places. And I think one of the things, if especially if you're using oil, you sometimes forget that a lot of the flavour comes from the butter as well. You know, the butter gives it a, it gives it a richness and sort of a van- almost a vanilla-y flavour. I don't know quite how to describe it. Yeah, I think that was a shame, but they could have made up for it with some nice flavourful buttercreams or whatever. And I think that was the criticism they levelled at Christine, said, you know, maybe if they'd been more passion for it, it would have balanced it better. But yeah, it seemed disappointing. And there's nothing worse than making a cake and someone saying, oh, it doesn't taste too much. No, no. Ouch. Maybe had she made a double-layered one and then sandwiched it together or something to get a bit more in there. Because I thought it looked splendid. And, so, and Mary said, "I like the simplicity." I didn't think what simplicity. <laughs> what simplicity? She cut out a guitar and piped strings on, and even put all the there were lights around it. And, well, the it lights were. I don't think you count the lights, but you know, she put all the little knobs at the top and the frets on and everything. I didn't think I like the simplicity. I'm not sure what she was looking at. She was looking at something different. Maybe she was looking at Paul. very true maybe so do we think francis maybe missed a trick by not having any sort of frosting or icing on her cake yeah yeah (laughs) yeah <laughs> glad, glad we're in agreement. I'm glad we all agree. Yeah, lovely. Um, they said it's dry and bitter. Dry and bitter. Yeah, bitter's not good, is it? When I did the Christmas one, I made this sort of hidden penguin cake. Yeah, hidden design. That's the word. And one of the criticisms from Prue was that it ought to have had some more buttercream holding the penguin in there because it was all a bit just sort of. It, it came apart a bit when it was sliced. I'm not even sure that that made the cut, actually, but that was definitely criticism. And when I watched Frances just shoving that cake in, and she was really ramming that cake into the hole, I thought, well, oh, gosh, that's either going to be very compressed by doing it or very dense. It didn't... I, I like the idea. I really like the idea. And had she put sort of some chocolate ganache in there to hold the carrot in to go with the dark, 
cake that went with it. It might have been better, but I'm not surprised they didn't like it because of the the cramming in the carrot cake, which wasn't carrot cake as far as I'm aware. No, it was a carrot looking cake. Well, she did talk about some dairy free fudgy sauce that she made, so I'm not sure where that went. I don't know what her bulbs were made out of earlier either, because she said she'd made bulbs, hadn't she? But there was no hint about what they were. Once again, not getting all quite all the information uh, we desire. But yes, uh, Ruby had some uh, excellent comments with some uh, original ideas, good chocolate work, good baking, good flavour. So that is excellent. Uh, Kimberly's did really well as well. Her butternut squash spice maple syrup toadstool house Uh, which was a childhood memory. They thought it was moist, but quite close textured. And the cake wasn't that sweet, but she seemed to do what you've all just said about balancing the fondant and the filling in the cake, and it pulled it all together. Francis, I think we've talked about Francis's cake. (laughs) Quite disappointed by the end. I think everybody was a bit disappointed. It wasn't the best. Can I just say something about Kimberly's comments? Because I I thought it looked lovely. I thought she did a great job for somebody who doesn't make these sorts of cakes that she pointed out. Mary seemed to be all ready to criticise it a lot. She said, you know, it was too close textured, Blardy needs a, more of a filling for the sweetness, blah, blah, blah. Um, but Paul said the bake was excellent and it was executed perfectly. And it was almost as though Paul came in and shut Mary down. When I went back and looked at it, it was almost like Mary was going to say something and Paul comes in and goes, no, it was executed perfectly and blah, blah, blah. And I just wonder whether Mary was just having a very bad week. We all have bad days. Because normally I would say that Mary is fair with her comments and always finds something positive to say. And I didn't feel that she was so much this week. Usually... Paul is bad cop, Mary's good cop. And I felt it almost switched around a bit this week, and I'm not quite sure why. Yes, potentially so. Um, I mean, as we mentioned earlier, there were a lot of tears at the end. Oh, goodness, there were a lot of tears. Which seemed quite sad to leave it on such a sad note. And unfortunately, that was the end for Christine, which was very, very sad. It was, and even Ruby was in tears, bless her, and she had no reason to be crying. I think they really had sort of bonded as a group by that point. I think it was nice, actually, to see some of the shots outside the tent as well, where they were comforting each other, and I thought, oh, this is nice. We don't get to see that very much. A little bit of a behind-the-scenes mm. shot. Or, or were you thinking, they weren't that nice to me? No. I thought it was as well. I just uh, may, maybe everybody had had a big piece of Ruby's cake because there were a lot of poppy seeds on there, and they did a thing. Did you remember a year, a couple of years ago, where they were testing poppy seeds? And for those people who don't know Joanna Lumley, she is sort of Abfab, very well known actress in the UK, absolutely fabulous and all that. So anybody in the US who doesn't know her, and they were doing some tests on poppy seeds, and she'd been eaten some poppy seed bread, as we very often put poppy seeds on our bread. She failed a drugs test. Yeah, you eat a spoonful of poppy seeds and then go for a drugs test, which I have never done or had or needed to, may I point out. Is that your excuse, Jane? <laughs> I eat too many poppy seeds. 
So I just wondered, maybe they were all a bit either high or <laughs> coming down from eating too many poppy seeds off Ruby's cake. Maybe that made them. Is that what it was? They're all a bit emotional. I see. Yeah, they were all a bit emotional from the poppy seeds. I'm going to draw this quickly to a close. Oh, sorry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Before we go off on any more tangents. But yes, unfortunately, that was the end for Christine. She did quite well in her loaf challenge at the beginning, but she did come last in the technical and didn't seem to have a particularly flavourful cake in the showstopper. So a very sad goodbye to to Christine, who did very well so far in the series, didn't she? She's very lovely, Christine, as well. I have met her two or three or four times and she is absolutely lovely. So very sad to see her go. Indeed. But we do have another star baker to crown and it was Ruby. She did very, very well, pretty much all the way through, almost flawless this week. Very few negative comments. So she did very well overall. So I think a well-deserved star baker for Ruby there. Is that two or three for her now? Three. Three. Goodness me. So those are our semi-finalists. We have uh, Becca, Francis, Kimberly and Ruby heading through to French Week in the semi-finals. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of The Bakedown. Uh, please do keep sending us all your lovely questions that we can answer during our podcasting. And uh, don't forget to come and join Jane's Dairy-Free Pea and Raspberry Cake on Sunday, the 23rd of April. And don't forget you can use the code PODCAST to get 10% off your next class booking. Thank you so much, everybody, for joining us. We will see you next week on The Bakedown. Bye. just heard a stripped media production imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.